0: Welcome to episode number six. In this episode, I am talking with Kempton Williams, who happens to be my brother. And ever since Kempton has had a job, he has always been doing interesting real estate things, going in and out of houses, moving into them, living in them for a week or two, moving out of them, running them out. So I thought it'd be interesting as a different perspective from starting and running or acquiring a business on the side of your professional job. This real estate aspect that you can do when you have a solid W-2 income as a way to start generating passive income on the side with your job. Hope you enjoy. And we're live. Today, I have Kimpton Williams, whose probably biggest claim to fame is uh, that you're my brother. When did you, um, as growing up, was there a moment in particular that you realized, wow, Raleigh's really special?
1: I'm still waiting to have that moment. (laughs) Maybe it'll come come right now.
0: We don't give verbal affirmations in our family. We're all in therapy about it. Okay, so uh, Kempton, you posted uh, not that long ago. Uh, And really from the time that I've known you, which has been from the time that I've born, you've always kind of had a job on the kind of that you're focused on. You're an accountant, so you've been a CFO. Um, But outside of your job, you've always kind of been flipping houses, running houses on the side. How did that, um, when was the first time that you started doing that? Was that right out of college? That I started doing what? That you started buying houses? Did you oh. kind of get into it? Because you bought a house and you're like, oh, I want to upgrade houses instead of selling. How did it all come to pass? Okay, so we're diving right into housing. We're going to. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think I kind of landed into it by, um, by accident. So not on purpose, I think. So when when uh, I was leaving college and we were moving to Florida for me to start uh, my master's in accounting program, uh, we we, I had a little bit of inheritance uh, from one of my grandmothers, and with that money I was allowed to uh, put some money down on a on a home, Um, and twenty, fifty, a hundred. Say what? 20 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand? Yeah, 20 grand. 20 grand is what I got to put down on a home. And so uh, so I was really excited coming out of school, coming out of undergrad to be able to buy you know, my first home. Uh, I was married at the time. Well, I still am. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had already been married. And, uh, and so we started looking at properties in Florida to as our first kind of starter home. So that home... That we ended up buying uh, was about 200k, and um, and 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 to be fair, uh, that money that I got from my family did help jumpstart buying my first home with a bigger deposit. You know, most people probably can't out of school afford to to put 20k down on a home, but I was blessed to have that little bit of a a head start with that additional money. And so, when we bought that home, it, you know, we knew it wasn't our forever home. But um, I did—I didn't have any intention at the time to to rent it out. The only thing that I can say is, when I was in college, um, I did help property manage uh, some some properties for others. And so I had kind of been through the program of, you know, making a home look nice, you know, listing it on Zillow for rent or Craigslist at the time is what we used to use uh, for rent and then uh, vetting out tenants and finding and finding tenants. So I had a little bit of experience, but I wasn't planning on applying that yet in my personal life. On and my first were, this was, oh,
0: the, where was this relative to the housing crisis? This was, oh, this was
1: 2008. You... So actually the first home that I bought was a foreclosure. Um, so this was in 2008 um, like and like a short sale, REO. It still hadn't hit. uh, Well, actually, let me edit that. It was a, still a short sale, mm-hmm. so I hadn't gone through the full foreclosure process yet. And it, and and the home that I bought had originally sold for three hundred and sixty thousand in two thousand five, and then I bought it for two hundred and eight thousand in two thousand eight. So that's the kind of value inflation that was occurring before, you know, 2008. And then it still, it went down. I mean, even from when I bought in, the market still continued to decline um, even more. I mean, my home lost
0: value even after I bought the property. And what, so in a short sale, did you have to bring extra cash? I don't know. I don't know when FHA pro- I mean, you know, now FHA you put three percent down. I don't know if that was a function of housing crisis or if that. Was yeah. Just- so
1: this first home, I didn't ha- because I was putting twenty percent down. I didn't have to. I didn't um, have to go through the FHA program or have uh, uh, insurance mortgage. But I guess
0: insurance. you were going to school.
1: I was going to school. Yeah, and work. I I was going to school and I started working. So I was working full time, going to school at night. Oh. Um and so uh, so yeah, so uh, on this first home, it was a little bit of a because I had more of a conventional mortgage. Yeah, short sales were, and I had and I had helped people buy short sales when I was an undergrad, as kind of like a, not as a uh, a real estate person, but just as kind of like a real estate investor. I kind of helped scout out properties um and yeah depending on the property you have to be you have to have your ducks in a row you got to have your financing in place
0: you know because a lot of times it's a multiple offer situation and, and you were getting financing based on this new job that you had in tampa yeah so you had this how, how long did you stay in this house as you're getting your master's of accounting so in
1: 2008 so in 2008 i bought the home and then um and then really what happened was in 2011 is so after I'd been in the home for a couple of years, um, I was always looking. So as a hobby of mine, I was always kind of looking at real estate. I was always on Zillow at night. I was always looking at houses for no other reason other than I just enjoyed doing it. And, um, and so in 2011, I found, um, so over the course of a few years working, I had made some bonuses. I was, uh, I mean, I was, I had just graduated with my master's degree. I had kind of some cool things happened at work where I, you know, I got a few bonuses that I was able to kind of save up. And so I started looking for my next property. And, uh, and so that's when I found my next one. So I went from a $200,000 home to a $330,000 home that I ended up finding. And for me to do the $330,000 home, I didn't have, um, I, I did, that was my first FHA loan, um, where I put, I can't remember if it was three and a half percent or 5%, but it was
0: definitely through the FHA program. So explain real brief what an FHA is, what you have to do.
1: Um, so I, so I think FHA stands for like, first time home buyers or something. Uh, I'm not exactly sure you can. Federal housing authority. Okay, maybe federal housing authority. (laughs) Anyways, the way the program basically works is if you're moving into a home as your primary residence, that's a key qualifying factor. You, um, the government has this program in place where you can base, it, it helps you uh obtain a mortgage at a lower down payment so the yeah. fill out process is if you're moving into the home you're a less risky um a tenant Far, yeah. of the of the loan yeah and so therefore there's a little bit of it's not assistance but they just allow that you don't have to go through a conventional loan which normally you have to pay conventional loans you have to pay 20 percent down right Uh, but an FHA loan allows you to pay less than 20%. And there's varying degrees of how much less you can do three and a half. You can do five. I think you can do 10, maybe 15. Um, and, and the kicker on an FHA loan is that although you can put a very low down payment on the home, you have to buy, uh, an additional insurance on your mortgage called mortgage insurance. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of helps whoever's doing the ultimate loan for you, whether it's Chase or Wells Fargo or bank of America or whoever have some insurance protection in place in case of a default. Yes. So that this program is only a lot, uh, permissible if you are moving into the home. Right. So a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you do, you know, how did you, if you, you honestly, the hardest part of the whole deal is getting into that second home. Like your first home is pretty easy because you can do an FHA loan. I happen to have done a conventional loan because I had some inheritance money, but you, the second, the first home for anyone is as long as you have a, you know, your debt to income ratio is, 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 um, adequate. You can usually qualify for a home with a very low down payment but it's that second home that's going to be the biggest obstacle for people to overcome because, because you don't have any history of renting your home out or rental income all. So when they're looking, when they're calculating your debt to income ratio, they're going to count the mortgage that you have on your first home, plus the mortgage that you have on your second home. Right. And they're not going to offset that debt with future income that you're gonna get from renting out for something. So that's kind of the the whole deal, the hardest part is getting over that hump where you can work it out so that you can qualify for two loans, whether it's you have enough income from it or uh, your deposits, your down payment's bigger. You have to figure out how to get through that first that second home with not having any rental income experience. After you get through that second home, it's easy because as soon as you have uh, one year or two years of tax returns showing rental income on your properties, um, banks will look at you as, as a more sophisticated candidate and will allow you to kind of keep progressing and keep adding loans to your to your debt you know, right. your history. And so that's the that, that that's the hardest part of all of it is qualifying for that second loan without having any rental income offset for them to look at your debt to income ratio because you got to keep it under like 50% like your total debt your total monthly payments that you have each month your mortgage your car payments your insurance, uh, credit card minimum payments, all of your debt needs to be less than 50% of your your income, how much you're making from work through a W-2 employer. If you're not making money through a W-2 employer as an employee, you need to have two years of business income. And, it, um, and so it's that second home that's the hardest. Once you get past the second home and then you get into a routine of renting out homes, uh, it becomes much easier for
0: the third. And they, don't, they don't let you roll multiple FHAs, right? Because the whole point of the FHA is you have to be claiming it as your... So that was what I thought.
1: Um, and I don't know this, um, you know, so don't quote me on this. <laughs> but, um, but, um through my experience there was no limit no one could ever answer for me or as i progressed from fha loan to loan, no one ever told me you have too many you're not allowed to do another one um it was almost like as long as you had the intention to move into the home as your primary residence there was no limit to how many you could do there may actually be a limit right
0: i just never because the most you had at one time was how many? Um, maybe five. Five simultaneous FHA mortgages on five properties all at the same time.
1: Yeah. And to do that, what you had to do was, what I had to do was move into each one. So when, right. you, when you're closing on an FHA loan, you have an affidavit. You have to sign that title at closing that says you are moving into your home. And right. that's what is the, is the most important part i don't know if there's actually a limit of how many like if you can close on a loan and three months later move into another property and then close on a loan and three months later move into the my cycle was never that fast it was maybe the fastest was 18 months or something and so i never reached i never i never reached an area where they said nope no more you know but i was always wondering how many more i could do but I, and when I would research it, I couldn't find anything out about it. And whoever I was working with from a financing perspective, didn't care. They just wanted to close a loan,
0: so. And you always preferred the FHA plus the PMI, plus the private mortgage insurance, that extra couple hundred bucks, over going 10%, putting a- Well, it wasn't
1: thing. that I preferred it, yeah. it was the cash limitation. So the more cash I could have for my next deal, in my bank the better so I always yeah so so paying the mortgage insurance premium every month was a cost of me doing business this way and 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 there are you know there was one home that I got to point the mortgage insurance doesn't stay on the entire time uh so there's one percent there was one home that I actually got to a point where the value of the home Mm. It increased so much that I was able to refinance two years later, um, and pay an the mortgage insurance off. Not because I had paid down significantly less cash or more cash; it was just because the value, to, my loan-to-value changed because the value of the home uh, substantially increased.
0: Now that you've had uh, properties that you rent out and the FHA – I mean, because FHA normally sets limits based on where you live. Uh, You know, you can get up to a 4 unit complex, and what you get in Tampa, Florida for an FHA is half of what you would get in an FHA in San Francisco.
1: There are FHA limits. Yeah, I would say for the most part they're either anywhere from, like – I mean, I don't know if there's a bottom limit, but they go up to – Maybe three hundred and fifty
0: thousand now. Yeah, well, I think it's based on what you're, what you know, in New York City. I think you're. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're,
1: it does. It does vary 110%. by, by area. But you, you know, you're, you're not gonna. I don't think you can do. I mean, yeah, maybe if you're in one of those big major markets. But for the most part, you're not gonna buy a luxury home on a FHA loan. Yeah,
0: you can get multiple units though, right? Two, three, two, three, four unit complexes but um what have you found now that you've had houses in the six seven hundred thousand dollar range that you've rented out versus houses in the two three hundred thousand dollar range do you prefer the lower yeah and just and just to clarify i mean
1: the way that i progressed into a higher market of homes because fha became not an option it's it, it was a matter of savings you know Being successful at work, getting my year in bonuses, applying them to my next, you know, it was a combination of work and salary and bonus and savings on top of, you know, renting out the homes that kind of made the dynamic all work and allow me to kind of progress upstream with more valuable homes each time.
0: And having, and do you, do you enjoy higher Priced higher value homes. Yeah, as a so rent- a lot,
1: I like it because it's kind of like a niche market um, for me. So it works out, uh, you know, a lot of people play in the space of uh, low income rental properties, um, apartments and, you know, three to, you know, 1500 square foot homes. Um, and so I think that market is the most saturated uh, in terms of competition and your eventual return on your cash. Uh, And so for me, uh, what I found, and it may have been, again, I think it was by accident, because all of these homes were my primary residence, we kind of wanted stuff we wanted to live in, you know, so a lot of these homes had swimming pools, as an example, just because we always wanted to live in a house with a swimming pool. And as I would convert these primary homes that had features that we enjoyed, you know, for my family that my wife liked. Uh, to rentals home, to rental properties, we found that we were able to charge substantially more than neighboring properties, even within the same streets, just yeah. because of the features of the home that we had, because they were features that we would have only purchased for the use of our primary home.
0: And so, what are what are some of the things now? If you're as you look for. Uh, to add to your rental properties what are the yeah so
1: now I'm doing now I'm moving into I've gone kind of higher up 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 in market Uh, and so now something that I've really uh, enjoyed doing the last few years which has kind of entered in like a whole new space for me has been um, executive home uh, fully furnished style homes and so now I'm starting to get into properties that uh, we can advertise as, you know, for people who are relocating for <clears throat> a new job, a higher level job. Uh, maybe they have, you know, kids that they're moving in and they want to check out the area for um, six months or 12 months before they decide where they want to live. Yeah, um, They don't want to bring all their furniture because c- almost like an Airbnb style home that you look for on Airbnb to go on a trip. That's basically what I'm mimicking as a long-term rental basis. So furnished, nice kind of touches in the home, your swimming pool, stuff that if you're, you know, coming into, in, into a new city or a new market and you want to rent a place for a year, um, it's a place that you can feel really comfortable. And, but, and because that end of the market is so slim, so slim pickings, um, I'm able to charge way above market. I mean, for example, one of my homes um, in a neighborhood of 32 homes, there are probably three homes in that neighborhood that have tenants that um, you clear out the home you know, no, nothing fancy about the backyard, just grass, uh, really clean home inside, but just a shell of a home, same square footage as my same builder as my home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Could charge, uh, about $4,500 a month for rent, which is what, if you look on Zillow, it would say my rent estimate is what they call it, which should be $4,500 a month because that's what two or three in my neighborhood are renting for uh, but I've been able to charge um, 6500 now even 7000 at my latest renewal for the same cost basis but with um, more feature intensive home and it being furnished so yeah and, and when I say furnished it's like furnished with like you know, Wayfair type stuff that's nice, that looks good, but, you know, we're not talking about restoration, restoration hardware type yeah. stuff that your cash is just sitting in the home, you know, depreciating. Right.
0: Uh, what are some things that are, if you're, as you're looking at homes, uh, and take me back to the 200, 300,000 FHA style homes, uh-huh. what are some things that are just red flag from a, obviously structurally and all that stuff to the side, all that just from a ability to rent and potential issues that you could potentially have with renters, whether they're hard on certain stuff or um, features, no features, what's the balance?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think by having the mindset of this is my primary home, you're going to filter out a lot of stuff that otherwise investors look at when they're just looking at properties online. So what are the types of things if you're house shopping with your wife that your wife go, or your husband or your boy or your whoever that you that they say, oh, that's really nice. And you want the home to have something that really draws in a crowd, whether it's a, a nice master bath, you know, a nice glass walk in shower, a bright inviting kitchen, you know, nice quartz countertops. Um, flooring. You you just don't want a vanilla home if you're trying to um eventually get kind of that extra because even in a neighborhood where for example I have a rental home that um you know the home was two hundred and sixty thousand dollars uh is what I paid for the home and then I probably put fifty thousand dollars into it um in renovations just to update it a bit. And, and, and because of that, I'm, I'm able to get an extra $500 a month uh, more than what it's worth online. Just because when people, the nice thing about rental, rental properties is there's no appraisal. There's no one going through the home before you sign a lease that says, Nope, this isn't worth this rent. You have to accept the rent at this value if someone gets emotionally connected to your property and there's people moving in and out of these major markets all the time that need a place, they want something that's nice, um, you know, or even in Texas where we have properties, we have families who their houses uh, get burned down or tornadoes or whatever, and their insurance companies are paying for them to temporarily stay in a hotel. So they're just trying to find something that's comparable to what they lived in before. And their insurance companies will pay the rent. There's no, it's whatever they perceive the value be, to be to them. So yeah. it doesn't matter if your if your home is only three hundred thousand, you can rent it as if it was a home for five hundred thousand. If someone makes an emotional connection to features that are in your property, so I like things like a nice master bath, nice you know updated kitchen, even if it's small, something that's nice. Uh, throw in like. One of my homes, I, you know, I found a Viking oven on Craigslist, you know, for $800 that I incorporated into my kitchen, which just people go, oh, it's got a Viking oven. You know, yeah. even though I bought it at some random place and, you know, the guy probably didn't even own it, who sold, who sold it to me. <laughs> and so there's ways to kind of make a nice um, house that people can make an emotional connection to and pay you that extra $300 a month, that extra $400 a month, uh, than what the market tells you your property's worth, just by you finding stuff that has some interesting features to it.
0: How do you how do you compare, how do, how do you try to go about underwriting potential rent? If you're going into a new market, you don't know the neighborhood super well, or maybe you do, just trying to underwrite rent relative, whether the rent and your carrying cost of trying to get it rented uh, relative to your uh, relative to what you think you can actually get for it from a rental perspective is that uh, hitting the ground with realtors? Is that the zestimate?
1: Um, yeah. So I mean, I would say you always start with the zestimate. You can you can um, you can use a realtor, and they and you can look even online yourself at uh, homes that have recently rented. The nice thing about rental If they go through the MLS, there's data on what they eventually were rented for. And so you can get a good perspective that way. Like again, one of my neighborhood, but it's not, you can't just rely on that. A lot of it, you just got to rely on what you're trying to achieve too, or what kind of return you're trying to get on your own investment. Like if I relied on recently rented properties in my other neighborhood where there's three that rent for 4,500, I would have rented it maybe for 4,800, but instead I rented it for six grand. You know yeah. just because um, I knew that that 's what um, I wanted to get out of it that 's what I thought it was worth and the other thing that I kind of benefited from is because i 've lived in um, so you know a few different states and then internationally for work and we 've lived in furnished homes overseas um, i kind of I have a good perception of what it, what homes what you can get for homes in many different markets based on the features. And I'm telling you the stuff that moves, the stuff that, you know, becomes a bidding war, the stuff that you can charge, uh, an extra $500 in rent is when you get two or three passionate, uh, husbands or wives who find something about the home that they really want. And they want yours and, and they'll, pay that extra $500 a month just to beat the next guy.
0: Yeah. No how do you,
1: appraisals needed, just emotion.
0: How do you go about marketing it usually once you're ready to rent it out? And um, yeah. I've always done it myself.
1: Um, I've always, <laughs> a lot of people ask me about property management. I've always um, managed the properties myself um, because I was just so greedy about that return i wanted you know every dollar i could get from it um and i found that it wasn't that much work and i was able to kind of absorb it while i lived domestically in the u.s the only time i even when i lived internationally i still managed it myself i i came up with solutions so that my tenants could let me know uh if they need anything as an example like i I started pulling home warranty policies out. So you can go to like American Home Shield and pull a a policy out on your home, whether it's rented or it's your own private home, you can. And so I would do something like that where I would pay like $80 a month for a home insurance policy that then basically if my tenants had any problem, plumbing, electrical, AC, uh, even pool equipment could be covered. Um, you know, I I set it up so they could submit the tickets directly to them, and then it was basically covered. But the only thing that I kind of outsourced when I was living overseas was the advertising of the homes because I couldn't show the homes physically anymore myself, like I could when I was uh, living in the U.S. or or even in the same state. That's when I would hire a a realtor to do the and realtors for the most part don't like to do listings for um rentals they don't there's not a lot of money you know it's usually it's not a percentage of it can be a percentage of the rent but usually they'll do it for a flat fee um that you can five grand
0: three grand
1: yeah so i think um you know usually the usually the flat fee should be something less than what one month's rent is uh so um you know you should but but even still, I have I have friends um, in Nashville where I live now who they rent out properties on the MLS for a flat three hundred dollar fee uh, just because um, they're just doing volume. So they'll right. list it and and just turn and burn and hope they get you you know hope they get whoever they're showing the property to on the other side when they go to actually buy their first home or whatever. And so you can, you can list on the MLS, even flat, you know, if you, you can do flat fee listings, you can pay websites $300 or a hundred dollars to list your home. And then you vet all the calls, you do all the showings. You may, it just depends what stage in your life you are professionally and personally. I've evolved from doing everything myself, every showing myself, you know, needing every to save every dollar to now, I'm more open to professionals doing the work just because I am more diversified in how I spend my time.
0: Right, and uh, what what do you do currently in terms of managing, Uh, you know, you have somebody getting into it, you have to figure out, obviously there's the house criteria, and then you have the whole other side of how do you underwrite a tenant? How do you get a lease? (laughs) how do you kind of go? How did you go about navigating those at first as you were first coming across those, a new lease? Is this tenant credit worthy? So the
1: first thing you do is the the first thing you do is you create an application process. So the first thing, if you list, like I did for many years, I would just list it on Zillow. I always listed my listed, rented my properties, um, just using Zillow by owner. Um, I never had any problem and you you the first thing you need to do is when people say okay you know they come and they and and this is the benefit of showing the home yourself you actually get to see who's 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 coming it's your home you want to make sure i i have never had a terrible experience in terms of a tenant occupancy i've had tenants who you know i've had to spend some good money repainting and whatever, after a very long tenancy. Um, I've had some tenants be slow on rent. Um, I've had, but that, but then end up catching up. And then I've had tenants who, um, you know, just couldn't afford it anymore that had, that had to move out, but I never had to go through the full eviction process. Mm. Moved out. We they moved out amicably so i i i lost a month or two of rent at the end of the day because we just parted ways but um but for Agreed. the most part um i've had very good experiences with with tenants uh and and care and i think a lot of it has to do with a the market that i play in um it being you know 200 300 you know, to eight hundred thousand dollar properties, and so the families are in a different stage of life. Um, you know, no one's working at McDonald's as their primary income. Right. And then, um, and then, and then, B. I've I've got to physically vet out these. I mean, you learn a lot when you tour your own home. You know, you see the kids, they're how excited they are about the rooms. You see how the parents react. You can smell if they're smokers. I mean, you can figure out a lot by just showing your home yourself and it saves you money. And then three application I always had, you know, I, I use the same application form that today that I started, uh, eight years ago, it was literally just, I, I looked on Google docs, you know, images for tenant applications and you'll find hundreds of different options. And I probably pieced a few together that I liked. and it's just a one page application form. So when they're leaving my house and they're like, what's the next step? Well, the next step is you fill out this application. It's got employment verification. uh, It's got, um, you know, all these things. And then I have it and and I can do what I want. In the early years, I never even did credit checks. I just went off of what their income was. And a big question for me is what, what are you used to paying for rent? Yeah. So I've weeded out a lot of tenants or prospective tenants who come to my house with big eyes. You <laughs> can make this work. Mm-hmm. And my rent's three grand. And the last rent that they've done is 1500, you know, right. And so you get that application versus someone that's been paying 2500 and you go, okay, I'd rather rent take my chances on the person that's going $500 up in rent than the person who's doubling their monthly expense for rent. So I always kind of processed these applications myself for the longest time. I cared about pets. I cared about uh, how much money they made, what kind of companies, you know, that they worked for. Um, but I never did credit checks. Um, and now, these latter years, I do credit checks. So now, You know, there's platforms you can use, especially if you're doing it through a realtor, where, um, you know, they'll get a link, they'll have to pay for it the 30, you know, I never charged in the early years a application fee, but now you can make it so you send your prospective tenant a link to a website, and they enter, they type in instead of writing it on your paper, all of their employment information social security numbers and then you actually get a credit report and you as the landlord get this kind of nice you know credit report on what your tenants you know rating is
0: which zillow does if you go through a zillow rental manager now zillow if they apply through zillow they'll do yeah do all that and get exactly eviction there's
1: there's a whole you can do i guess my point is is you can do it as homegrown as i did where i was uh, i was advertising on zillow and craigslist i was taking my own phone calls i was showing my own properties uh doing my own application that i created in word that they would scan and email me uh i created my own lease um you know just through online research yeah um and and so you can do all that, or you can go. Yeah, if you're doing it through of property manager, they have all these tools now. If you do it through a realtor, your realtor will guide you through the whole process. So there's there's a host of of ways to kind of filter it through. But the key for me was always, uh, in terms of choosing one applicant over another, was um, how much are you used to paying in rent and for how long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I think that there are a lot of people that uh, get overwhelmed because they come from a professional background, and so they try to run their rental properties in a very professional way and add a lot of layers and make the process overly complex, so they just decide to not do it at all because they're like, oh, I need to get a property management company. Yeah,
1: it becomes overwhelming. And it becomes, and then with all those layers and processes, it becomes expensive. Yeah. And then you just don't ever see the money. Like I did it kind of uh, bootstrap every step of the way, even to this day, because if there was money to be made on my home, I wanted it to come to me. Yeah. And I was willing to take the time to make that happen.
0: So on your next deal, uh, what's, what's the next deal? You think you're going to do Well So like, right now I live in a $1.5 million home
1: and people would look at that and say, there's no way that that can be a rental property. And I look at it and I go, I love that everyone says that because it tells me that no one's tapping into that market. Yeah. So I know hands down when I'm ready to move to my next home, um, a $1.5 million home can make a great rental property because there's someone that's moving into my city who wants to live in a sick place and is willing to pay premium while they sort out the area. Cause I would have, when I moved in, I wish I didn't have to close on my house before we even moved into the city and that we didn't even get to pick which schools because people's circumstances are so different. And there, there are hundreds of people moving into cities each day and there's tens, you know, or 20 different reasons, uh, and structures to how and why they're moving. And so you just need a few that kind of fit into that niche and all of a sudden you have yourself, um, some good cash on cash return.
0: Yeah. I like it. Okay. I'm going to go on Zillow right now and, uh, get working on the next one. You've also lent to me on some house deals. So, uh, (laughs) I'll be hitting you up on the lending on that. Um, all right, man. Appreciate it. And, And, uh, say what's up to mom. See you, man. Peace.